I'm Michael Counts, and this is Producing Innovation. Today, uh, we have with us Brian Bickerstaff, and this is part three of the Gail Gates Producing Innovation sub-series, which is a huge pleasure for me. Brian Bickerstaff, who was, I've known now for, oh my God, like well over 20 years, um, which is nuts. And um, and uh, Brian is an actor, an artist, a performer, director, creator, man of many talents, and someone who, for all of the early Gail Gates productions, and I would say all the ones that I'm most known for, Brian was a principal uh, performer, in many respects a lead, and carried a lot of water, chopped a lot of wood as we were getting Gail Gates going. How do you produce innovation? How do you produce anything? It's always been about reinventing a form. I think we're all in this room together because we believe in lifelong learning. It's all about persistence. If you give up, that's the end of the game. You have no chance. I wanted to go make my own mistakes in pursuit of, I didn't even know what at the time. Show up. Show up when you fail. Show up when you fail miserably. Show up when you don't want to show up. There's an audacity that I think is required to, to be a creator. Just start. Like, don't wait for permission. Sit down at the table with some of the great creators, some of the people who have cut new ground and found a new path and done things that are like improbable and ludicrous and wonderful and for which we should all be grateful in the worlds of art and theater and music and technology and innovation. This is producing You're listening to producing innovation. So, Bic, I have one question sort of to lead it off, and I have a feeling this is going to like pr prompt a, a, a deep dive on your part. Right on. Um, when I met Brian Bickerstaff, our guest today, uh, he was a young actor in New York, um, and we met. I was extremely impressed with him. You know, I've often said that that when casting for me was a was a was simply a process of meeting someone, and I would I would often you know if we had to do auditions. I would often say that someone was either cast or not in the time it took them to walk from the door to the spot where they were going to stand and do whatever they were going to do to audition. That it was like a sort of a an energy connection yeah. that either yeah, happened yeah. or it didn't happen. And with with Brian, um, it happened immediately. And and so the question, Bic, like as a lead in, I think this is going to again prompt a lot of sort of uh, your reaction, your sense of Gail Gates, what we were doing. Sure. My question is this. Uh, you are a talented guy. You had a lot of choices. You, you, could have, you, were, you went on to work with many, many people, many great directors. At the time uh, that you started working with Gail Gates, you made a, a deep commitment to that company and to my work and to the, all that we did together. Right. Uh, why Gail Gates? Like, what was it that drew you to that company, to that work, to that culture, to that community. The first time I walked into uh, uh, the Main Street, 30 Main, and uh, it was Tom Fruin had some art on the walls. I mean, the ceilings were like, I don't know, 50 feet high, and it, it was impressive. Um, and we met very quickly. And I think the first thing he said to me was, uh, who are your three favorite playwrights like on the spot? And I think I just said, uh, Beckett, Pinter uh, and Shepard or something like that. And uh, you're like, sweet. I, th I think he like, like shook my hand and walked away. And I was like, okay, that was cool. Um, it, it was pretty quick. I mean, that's, that's like the memory that jumps out at me. But, um, and then my audition, you, it was you and Michelle and I walked into, this was an, on another, uh, another occasion. And um, I walked in, you just had me do something of my own choosing and I'd done this monologue from a play called The Crazy Locomotive by Stanislav Fitkiewicz. And I just worked on, and it was, it's an out there play. And I thought it would suit <laughs> the space and you and Michelle. Uh, and then after that, you handed me a Paul Auster book. And you just had me read like a long paragraph from that. And immediately I was like, this is weird, man. And this is exactly where I want to be. You, you take these acting classes and you read a lot of plays and, you know, that's, that's, that's cool, you know, but for me, um, I, I wanted to do something different. Uh, I, I had worked with, um, my buddy, Jim Finley in, uh, he was a graduate student when I was an undergrad and he sort of opened my eyes to different styles of performance, different styles of theater, uh, that you just, 
I don't know, I, I wasn't subjected to at an early age. Um, and that began to open my eyes. And then my junior year of college, a woman by the name of Gita Honegger, um, she came to take over the theater program. And in many ways, she brought it up to date. And I, I mean that in a way that some of the shows she proposed to do her first year, and she had come from Yale School of Drama and had all these credentials. And I was stoked to like work with somebody new. And she proposed this play. It was a play without words. And it was all movement. And I remember a lot of, I think like she had like a meeting and took a vote about what the under, undergrads would be interested in doing. <laughs> I think I was like maybe one of two people out of like 40 or 50 that raised their hand and said, I want to do this show. And everyone else was just like, that sounds stupid. And, and even then I was like, well, now I want to do it even more because it's like, if, if the classmates had a reaction to that, I wondered like, what would the audience's reaction to be? And I was excited to see what, what we could do and what that would be. So this is a sort of a rambling answer to, to your question, I suppose. But when I arrived at Gail Gates, it just, the, the potential to do work that I hadn't even seen yet, uh, to do work that might piss a couple of people off. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just to, to do something that I felt uh, was a game changer. Uh, the, the, the potential for that was uh irresistible and you know and the the desire to stay and to want to keep working i mean the, the people that we were surrounded with um from you and michelle uh tom mike jeff um i mean and then when i got i introduced you to josh stark who is one of the coolest cats i've ever met in my life you know and great performer annika um so yeah, Joe, oh man, Joe Debs and, and Jason Boyd, who is a person who really connected me to you guys. Uh, I met playing Frisbee in Ithaca, New York. And he was like, yo, you got to meet this guy, Michael. And I was like, all right, cool. And we might've been stoned or something. I don't know, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was just one of those things. I was like, all right, man, I'm, you know, I'm going back to New York and let's do this. Uh, and so, you know, I remember, I remember pretty early, uh, trying to figure out how to exist in the worlds that you were creating, you know? And, uh, and I think through some of the training we did, uh, that Michelle bestowed upon us from uh, her studies with Min Tanaka and connecting on a visceral level, like connecting, like there were times where I'd have my back to somebody, let's say Josh, and I would turn knowing he was going to turn in that exact moment. We were also dialed into the, the space, the show, the tech, each other, uh, just on levels that were deeper than eyes and ears. And that, that was, I mean, it was like a, an elixir. I mean, it was a drug. I mean, it was like, I want to, this is my home. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to learn how to grow as not only an, an actor, but as an artist, as a, as a friend. Uh, there was a day, it was right before you were right before 1839, I guess. And the, I had found out like, you know, who was in the show and I had found out I wasn't. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, it was, it was a bummer because I just was like, I, I was so voraciously wanted to keep working in that environment. And I was bummed. And I remember I walked all the way from the East village over the Brooklyn bridge, like having this conversation in my head, like, not like aggro, just like what's going on, you know, uh, an honest conversation. And you were working on, you're building something and we sat down and you explained it like this and I'll, it was one of the multiple of uh, stories that I have uh, regarding our relationship and collaboration but you had said look man um you compared it to like Miles Davis and you said Miles Davis had his core group of musicians that he recorded with and jammed with you know and I had and he went off and made albums with other people but always came back to his core and you know you said, you said, I'm, I'm just making another album and it's very age specific, this, that, the other thing. And, you know, the way you explained it, it made perfect sense to me. And I, I just, I guess I just needed to hear it. And when you having that conversation, that, that is a conversation that a tight knit family has, you know what I mean? It wasn't like uh, tough shit, man. You know, it was a heartfelt explanation that I, I, I guess I just needed to hear and it just set everything at ease. And I think that that was a moment anyway, that 
resounded with me and made me feel like, you know, this is where I'm at. Uh, this is, this is my home. And, uh, I'm, I'm here for the long haul regardless. You know, it's funny to think about 1839 in that respect, because I think from, from, from most people who, who, who look back at the company, I think you're like, you're a mainstay, you know, from a performer standpoint in a similar way to like how Michelle was a mainstay. For sure. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I think it's, it's interesting to, to hear from me, you know, cause one of the things that we're trying to do with this podcast is like, you know, I mean, the general purpose is like, just look at and explore this general idea of producing innovation. Like, what does that mean? What is innovation right. at all? What is, why, why do we pursue? What is, what, what's new? What, what are the challenges of being new? Like, what were the challenges of being in Dumbo before it was a place, even when it was still like this, like wild west frontier? Dude, you couldn't get a cup of coffee after like five o'clock at night, man. It was like, you had to like, <laughs> you had to come with like provisions, man, because you couldn't <laughs> get anything after five o'clock, maybe even like four 30. I don't know. I mean, it was a difficult place to, and it was cold. Yeah, no, no. That, and that was, I mean, it, and and it's funny to think about like what are the things that that, that draw us like you know I have my story mm-hmm. um, what compelled me to do the work that I did you know Michelle same we talked about that and I think you know it's an interesting thing because you were someone who came in like after Michelle and I kind of started the company had a few projects under our belt had been sure. to Thailand had been to Japan come back you know had um, some time at at in Lower Manhattan at sixty seven Broad Street right and. You know, but 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 I think again, like going back to this idea, like you, you had a lot of choices, and you and people like Stark, people like Kate Moran, like really accomplished, really talented performers decided to like pick our scene and our culture, you know, and 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 bring all that 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 you had to that, and, and I think that's part of what made it, you know, is this sort of shared spirit of like let's do the new shit, like let's do. Yeah the theater that we're not seeing anyone else doing that like kind of speaks to our moment, you know? Right. And you're talking about um, a bunch of people, the people you just listed who are just ballsy performers, Mm. like people who are just like, just get after it, you know, for lack of a better term. And, you know, I mean, who, who doesn't want to be on the forefront of of innovation? And, you know, there are probably people who are like, Oh, we were innovating too. And, And they were, we were just innovating in our own way. I mean, that, that's one of the things I always think about, like other people's perceptions, whether it be um, uh, people we knew, friends, uh, audience members, reviewers, or whoever, you know? Um, it's like, if you don't like experimental theater, don't go review it. It's, it was so frustrating, you know? It never bothered me. Like other people's perception of what we were doing, it was, for me, it was like, it, it, it was therapy, you know? It was, it, was, it was my voice. It was a way for me to sort of uh, be an artist. Katie here. We're taking a quick break from the episode to remind you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Counts Projects or on our website at CountsProjects.com. It's the best way to keep up with our current work and find out more about what we're working on. Okay, back to the episode. You know, I, I always talk about like, I'm not really a painter. I'm not a sculptor. I'm not a very good musician, you know, uh, and it's hard for me to practice my craft. You know, it's hard for you to, you know, these I feel like I've, I've over the course of you know, working with so many different directors on so many different shows, it's, uh, I, I always talk about it being like a, a toolbox and I was just collecting a vast array of tools so that I can approach any project and be like, all right, this is what I need. I need, I need all these things I learned in working with the, you know, viewpoints or the city company or like that I learned from working with other actors or with different choreographers, with different um, acting teachers and dramaturgy. I mean, it's like, how do you, what tools do you need for each project or each role or each, each thing that we do? And I, I enjoyed collecting those tools. Sometimes they get, you know, they're not as sharp as others and you have to go back and you have to sharpen those skills again. But I was excited about, uh, you using tools that uh i don't know that that i had acquired and so i I guess what i'm saying is you know we're talking about staying and talking about doing that work and and having other opportunities but always calling gail gates home that was the ability to play the the ability to figure it out um and and to have our own space 
uh, and to be able to rehearse for three months and get a bunch of shit wrong before we got it right, you know, using a harness that didn't have pads and got up under your junk for a while before we actually got a real harness, <laughs> you know, like things like that. It was, it was exciting, man. I mean, flying in the air, you know, things flying from the ceiling, that kind of stuff was, that kind of stuff was mind blowing to me. And it was fun. I mean, that was the bottom line. It was fun. And it was, you know, it was our collective voice that we were, um, that we were using to tell these stories, you know, and, you know, the worlds we created in that space were phenomenal. And to enter into another world, like you kept creating these worlds. It was just such a, a, a retreat into another world. You can get away, you can leave all your shit at the door. And we would come in and rehearse for hours upon hours and just play. And that sense of, that sense of play with those, with those group of people was, you know, something that, it, not to sound corny, but it was magical, man. You know, we just did some magical things in that space. And we grew closer as friends, as family, as artists, as actors. Uh, you know, it was, I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. And it's, in, it's greatly informed who I am as a person. Because you have these relationships that you have to navigate when you spend hours upon hours. I mean, I, I didn't just come in to rehearse. I mean, we were welding shit putting bolts in walls. I mean, remember painting the entire place black? I had black coming out of my nose for weeks, man. You know, we would show up, I'd go to work at eight o'clock in the morning and like water plants in various office buildings across Manhattan and then get on the subway with my bag and my watering canister and my pesticides and like get to rehearsal and we rehearse 10 out of 12 hours or eight out of 10 hours. You know, you spend, the, and we, we gave so much, energy and time because the reward was so great. And, you know, we, we worked really hard and it, that, that, again, that informed who I am as, as a person, who I am as an artist. And, uh, it's, I don't, you almost don't have the words to describe it. You know, it was that, it, it was that amazing. And, uh, yeah, I miss it a lot. So there, there's a thing, you know, I, I, I often in, 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 in these conversations, I'm sort of looking for like, what's, the, what's the sort of nugget or what's, what's an idea that is particularly transferable? Mm. Um, you know, cause really the, the origin of this podcast for me was like, you know, I've learned through like trial and error and success and many, many, many failures over 20 plus years a, 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 a couple of things that I felt like sharing, you know, and I felt like mm -hmm. I had great mentors and I felt like podcasts and this sort of medium is a good way to sort of share our experiences with younger people coming up. And that was sort of the idea. And one, one, one such idea just sort of struck me as you were talking about, because, you know, this is an occasion to really think about like, I was like, you know, Bic, like Bic, Bic was one of my, you know, most, you know, valued performers and one of my most, valued uh you know collaborators and, and we really built that company together and i was like what was it that 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 was so critical there and what i realized is like you just gave it your all like you were just all in like a hundred percent all the fucking way in yeah for sure and like to me that's like there's a lesson in that for for people like mm. like i remember we all used to joke like mike a had this whole bit where like the there was the it was like this idea that like there was no b plan like we were <laughs> we were we were we were on trapeze without a net and it was yeah. just like well, you had to be all in and and the other the other part of that was that that part of you being all in as a director directing you was like i always knew that like i could come up with the craziest shit to <laughs> offer to propose yeah. to a performer to invite you to do something i would just stop you right there and i'd be like i'm in you don't even have to finish man <laughs> You know, oh. yeah, yeah, and I think that that, that makes such a that, that 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 makes such a difference. It's like that total commitment, the not having you know to whatever pick the metaphor, not you know on trapeze without a net, not having yeah. a plan B, but like just going for it so full out. There's really something to that in producing innovation, in entrepreneurship, in art of just being all in, and you know, and I just like I don't know, I don't know if that can be taught. Um, I feel yeah. like that's just sort of a, a kamikaze spirit or a frontier spirit. Like I've, I've often been just so impressed with that of like the frontier spirit of like people in this country. It's like, you know, people were tough. Like you toughed it out, man. You know, uh, like the, the, the all in attitude was, I, I, what did I have to lose? 
You know what I mean? Probably did a couple of dubious things that, you know, maybe we wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't try, you know, or like shit falling from ceilings or who knows, man, you know? Um, but there, there was nothing to lose, man. You know? And I, uh, the, the challenges I always said when people were like, well, uh, how do you want to be perceived as a performer or an actor? And I always thought like, I want there to be times where people are like, oh man, who the hell are we going to get to do this role? You know? And I'd be like, that's me. I'll do it. You know, like I remember once I asked you, I asked you to challenge me. And uh, I I was like, I want to, I just want to do something I've never done before. I want to be like super challenged. It was like the next day I got a phone call from you. Oh, it was probably a voicemail that went to my pager or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) No one had a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone when we first started working. Um, And it was like, you have tap dance class tomorrow at like 9am. And I was like, Oh, the thing, the challenge. Okay. (laughs) So I remember I went up to steps on Broadway and (laughs) it was like me, like 90 ballerinas. And, and we went into this tap dance class and Michelle, I think Michelle was there and I had to learn how to tap dance, uh, starting on the Monday and rehearsal for the choreography started on Tuesday. So I was learning choreography without even knowing how to do the dance that we were trying to do. Uh, and like, if you take that moment, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, how do you grow as an artist is by being challenged, you know, and meeting that challenge head on and being like, yeah, you know, I might, I'm probably not going to be Savion Glover in three and a half weeks, man, but I'm going to give it my best and, and pull that shit off of getting something wrong. It just didn't really enter into the sphere of thought. It was just like, all right, man my you needed this to happen and i'm gonna do it to the best of my abilities and you go from there and i think you're right mike i don't i don't know if you can teach aggressiveness or teach being all in um so i think a lot of times people are in their heads you know as you're like uh, well especially let's say you go to an undergrad like i went to where it's a you know pretty fairly typical um undergraduate course in you know theater um you know, you start analyzing scripts and you get all sort of cerebral about shit uh, as opposed to just actually getting in the space physically first and allowing your thoughts to, ca- to catch up second, you know? Um, it, as we painted these, you know, pictures on, you know, in that space, it was like, how do I exist in this world? I can figure out the other stuff later. It, it was sort of like a reprogramming of your brain of like how how to attack rehearsals and, 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 you know, say, Oh, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. And it's like, no, just live in the space. And you mentioned like Joe Deebs earlier and, you know, and, and Jay as well. But like, I remember like when we would rehearse and we'd have to like think about all these ideas that you would throw out at us, you know, we wrote a lot of them down and things that we would think about as we were tightening up um, the piece. And then Joe Deebs would come in with a CD. And he would just like put that CD on and it was a collective, like, like, let's say we were rehearsing, Joe Deebs comes in, you know, and pulls out the CD. You're like, stop. And all right, put the CD in. And it's like, all right, now do it with the music. And it was like, every one of the spaces went, oh, like his music glued so much of that shit together. It glued, it just like, it it was like another part of your character the same way costumes were like there was like an additional brush strokes that just completed everything that you had been working on for months. And it was like, Oh, that's the, that's that piece that was missing. It's easy to, to, to be all in when, when you've got nothing to lose, you know, and you feel like you're doing work that is important for yourself. And I, I certainly was. So but see, what's interesting to me about that Vic is like, there, you know, you had so much to lose, you know what I mean? But it's, a, it's like, that's the perspective. It's like knowing that you have a lot to lose. You could, you know, your time, your, your, your opportunity cost, all those things, but, but to sort of not see it that way. There's yeah. always so much you could lose, but in, but instead of seeing like saying, what do I have to lose? It's like, you're, you're, you're choosing to be all in and have faith that you are creating something that is, that is that so far outweighs the costs or the risks or the opportunity cost. You know, when you're in your early twenties and move back to New York city and it's like, your shit's hard. It just is, you know, but, but you, and you need something that is like that, that thing that gets you through your day. 
So when I say they had nothing to lose, it was like, but this, this got me through such, um, an important time in my life and a, and a hard, a, a tough time in my life, you know, um, to walk into that space and just knew that everyone had your back, you know, and to know that I could just perform or I, I can do whatever I was feeling that day, channel it into whatever it was we were doing. And I had freedom to do that. I mean, that's like, that, that is the best kind of therapy. You know, it's, it, it was a way, it was a way for me to believe that I had a voice as an artist and not just an actor, you know, I mean, it was like a, a grander thing of like being a part of something important, being a part of something that was, is groundbreaking the right word. I mean, it was for me, you know, it was groundbreaking for me because I learned things, let's say in that first 10 months of working with you guys that I hadn't learned in the previous 22 years, you know, that I hadn't been subjected to. So it was a perspective shifting moment for me. And it opened up so many other doors of, uh, of performance style or, or what I could do that as an actor. What was a particularly, you know, as you look back on it, a particularly rewarding project? It's hard not to say Field of Mars because it was, I remember like people walking out of that and being like, oh, man, I've never seen anything like that, you know? And then other people being like, I fucking hated that shit. And I was like, sweet, you know, like whatever, dude. Like I just had a blast. And like, that was the, that was crazy shit. You know, that first project, I mean, getting in a harness and flying you know, 25 feet in the air and having that be the opening moment to a piece, you know, there, there was this, I guess I really hadn't thought of this before, but there was that moment where I take the audience with me to be seated. And it was our first show in that space. And it oddly had carried a lot of weight for me. Like it was, it was a, it was a welcoming of audience to this space, to our work. I was the, uh, the first connection to that. And I, you, you mentioned something on the opening podcast about Gail Gates, about, about that moment when those three walls were um, pushed across the proscenium that was just in the space. Um, and the audience, the, the gap, the, like, where is that forest going? And it just kept going. It's like, surely it's going to stop. And it kept going. It's like, well, it's got to stop now. And then like 80 feet later, the audience is like, what the fuck? What, what is going on, man? And then they go into this space and that Joe Deeb's music hits. And it's just like, I think maybe at one point you mentioned it in a review or something years ago. It was like a shotgun went off in that space. And it was like, it's on, you know? And that moment, um, the hookah, the hookah table with the video, the big buffalo hat that Josh wore. Remember that like giant hat with the horns? And then me being on the stage with that table that flew in and then the chairs that flew in and Michelle leaning over my shoulder. There was just so many moments that were just bananas. And so that, that show really like really set the table for what was to come. But it wasn't just all like, Let's go crazy and just blow people's minds. There has to be another element. There has to be that the yin to the yang, you know, and there was that beautiful balance that I think we struck. And in each of the shows, there was, there were moments like I always said that it was like a coloring book, you know, you could draw all these black lines, right. And you this picture, but it was up to us to choose the colors to fill it in with, you know, and, it, and there was a lot of colors and we were just able to play and it was, nice to have that sort of freedom of discovery. I mean, the wall, fall, you know, you mentioned in that first podcast about someone standing in front of a giant wall and having the wall. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> and it was crazy. You know, like, everyone was like, oh man, wasn't that dangerous? And I was like, no, we drew my footprints on the floor. I just stood in my footprints. What could go wrong? But, you know, Jeff, Sug, and Mike Anderson every day would grab me from warming up and we'd go and we drew lines around the hinges on the floor. And, you know, we, we inspected it every night because everyone was just like, safety, safety, safety. But that moment of that white wall falling towards the audience, blowing hats off of people, pay, cups off of people's tables and shit, and just people being like, what just happened? And then blood red floor, 
three-piece tuxedo, popping that top hat and doing that dance number. I describe that to people to this day. And people are just like, what? Like, they they just can't grasp it in a way. I mean, that shit was, you know, and and honestly, working with body mics, I had never even done that before. And the intimacy of of that you could have with that sound, that can whisper into it and things like that. It just, oh man, it was the best actor's playground ever, man. You know, with some crazy shit and some beautiful moments. I mean, all it's just a re- it was a great recipe, man. You know, that's it's it's so it's so cool to be sort of brought back to those moments in in your description of it because you were like you know just so on the inside of all that shit and also like costume changes, man, running around like half naked backstage, being like I only got thirty seconds and like putting pants on and suspenders on and like it was from start to finish. There was no like, oh, walk off stage and like chill for a while and get back on stage. No, man. Once, <laughs> once it started, it was, I was in the best shape of my life, man. It was nonstop. Dude. There was no pauses, no respite. It was go, 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 or stand still for 36 minutes and don't move, <laughs> which isn't in and of itself super difficult. You know what I mean? Like there were so many challenges and rising up to those challenges was uh, a great experience, you know? You know, there's another sort of I, I don't know, like idea that 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 just came out of that. Right. Um, that 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 to me, like that, it strikes me as something that's important about what we were doing at Gale Gates and what that whole scene was about, which was, you know, you, you described the backstage and costume changes and big sets and all this stuff, and and it like it sounds like a you know what I now know as like a you know, big scale sort of Broadway show where like, you know, people are <laughs> like stage hands backstage and, yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. Like the, like the worlds that we've gotten to know and like doing like large scale grand opera and stuff. Sure. Right. Back then it was like, you know, that, that the budget for that show was I think $125,000. Right. And like, and nobody <laughs> in our community was spending that. Like it was like, Oh, your budget's like $412 and you're doing it in a basement. And like, for sure. Figured out a way and that to me was part of the entrepreneurship applied to like just this sort of guerrilla art idea, but mm-hmm. like doing it at a big scale, like being, and it's another sort of, I guess, form of being all in was like, we all created those sets. We painted the ceiling black over the course of weeks <laughs> and did it communally. We built sets, like we welded things and made two in the morning i mean just like all night long man you know like yeah right well and that was i mean i feel like that that delivered a level of production and production value that that i think wasn't common in the sort of the downtown for lack of a better word avant-garde um yeah i mean you know when i went to go work with richard foreman you know i mean he's had that space forever but a lot of that stuff i mean you, you look at it and it's just like, you know, it's thrown together. I don't know what his budgets are, but it's like, you know, there were heavily um, designed um, sets that he would use, you know, but it was contained in, 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 a, in a finite space. And oftentimes what we did with our space was we made it seem infinite. You know what I mean? And so that like you said the scale of things, I mean, you know, or, or when Jay Boyd, came with that lighting system. I dude, I would hold out my hand and like I would have to time in the music and like put out my hand and a, a, a light would dial into the size of like a golf ball pinpoint on my hand. Like the choreography that you had with set pieces with each other, with the sound and with the lights was so dialed in. It was like, I mean, I don't even know how much that system cost, man, but it was, I mean, I think we were all playing some, some of me, we were playing with stuff that none of us had used before. I mean, obviously Jay was on tour uh, with Natalie Merchant doing all that other stuff. And he, he learned and he came back with this system and he had learned it, but we didn't know how to utilize it, let's say. And how, how do we strategically place these crazy ass lights on these columns in this space to maximize where we can use these lights, you know? And like we would take breaks, like, you know, we have an hour for lunch and a lot of times we would just bring food and we would just like watch, you guys kept working during our breaks and I would just sit 
and just like listen to what you guys were talking about or how what Jay's thoughts were on the design process. And quite frankly, man, I mean, that was just as insightful as being in rehearsal was to understand what, how everyone else was making their choices, whether it be through sound design, whether it be through lighting design, it was like, Oh, all right. That's what they're thinking. How can I meld that into my own thought process? Like the more information you had, the, the more solidified you could be in that space, the, the more present you could be in that space, you know, like I want all the information. I want all that shit. And I want to like weave that into into what I'm doing. If you ask questions uh, of Joe Deeb's, like, what, how did you get that sound? I mean, everyone was so more than willing just to let you into their process, you know? And I was just as, I was as much interested, interested in uh, everyone else's process as much as my own. And I think that that informed me tremendously. It's more of a complete experience, not only for me, but I think for anyone who comes to see it as well, you know? Totally. You know, it's funny too, you're reminding me of something that I, I just literally hadn't, hadn't thought about in decades, <laughs> which was, <laughs> you know, we were, I remember you're talking about, you know, working with, with Jason Boyd and, and, mm-hmm. and that first moving light system. That was the very first time that, that, that I used moving lights for sure. But it's the first sort of downtown avant-garde show that I'm aware of to use that technology because- for sure. And and Jay, you know, you're right. Like he was out touring with Natalie Merchant. He was using sort of they were using a big rock tour, state of the art stuff, yeah. and it was expensive. And I remember pitching the company that, oh, yeah. that that produced this stuff and saying, "Hey, like we can't afford this at all, but like let us use this stuff, and we'll you know open we'll up doors for you." Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll 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 sort of create an opportunity for this to be showcased in a forum where it hasn't been showcased yet. And we'll open up the application of this. And I remember, you know, like you were saying, figuring out how to use it, figuring out how to use it in the space, you know, programming it, Jason spending countless dozens of hours, just figuring out how to program it to do the things that we wanted it to do. And then when people came in, they like, they hadn't seen shit like this before and how cool that was and how important I think that is to, you know, innovation and what, in, 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 in a lot of ways, like what reminding me, I, in a lot of ways, like what an innovative show field of Mars was for reasons that I just hadn't even considered in, in years and years and years. But that really was the application of that lighting specifically. And yeah. a lot of the stuff that Joe was trying to do with music were like just new things at that time. Yeah. And, you know, and to circle back to like your first question, I mean, imagine like someone showing you the new coolest thing. It was like, wow, man, like this, this is, this is just different, you know? And it, it, it was just as exciting for us. Um, and like I said, I mean, with all the people that we were working with and all the performers ha- to, to literally at times dance with this technology, you know what I mean? And to, to be able to tell a story, which could, which was probably different for almost everyone who saw it, that particular show, um, it, it, for us to, to sort of like be able to uh, roll with it, but also like incorporate it. I mean, it just, I think it's a testament to how talented everyone was in, in that room at that time. Cause I'll say this and to, to just to be clear um, and I appreciate, you know, the sentiment um, that you showed towards me, but I'll say the same about everybody else that was in that room. You know, people just jumped in like, like kamikaze style and just did it, you know, and it's hard, like, were you going to be the one person that's like not doing that? <laughs> you know, so we all like pulled each other, we pulled each other along. I mean, it was like challenge after challenge. And, you know, Josh um, one day just decided to point at me on a bar stool and just cackle and laugh at me. I was so like, what was that? And I was like, now, how, how do I, how do I get him back later in the show? But how to be a part of what it is we're doing, you know, and like that kind of upping the ante all the time. Uh, the stakes were high, man. And, you know, it was, it was a fun to be a part of it, you know? What was it like um, for you moving from sort of that era of the work and the kind of guerrilla style? And then, you know, you and Kate uh, Moran were the two performers that, that, that were in uh, Monodramas, which was the first opera that I did with New York City Opera at Lincoln Center. And like, yeah. what was it like after a big break to like, kind of quote unquote, like move uptown and uh, experience that. <laughs> That's midtown, man. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, well, 
you know, I, I guess I also want to say that like, as, as you know, my, my love of what we were doing way downtown off, off Broadway in Brooklyn. I mean, that was epic. Um, but I also enjoy the institutions and like walking into Lincoln center was like, awe-inspiring i mean there's like a whole room with just like thousands of um costumes and shoes and and they just like a like in the underbelly of lincoln center it's like this living organism there's stuff going on all the time and like walking past someone else's rehearsal room and like hearing some amazing musician or you know and so being in that space working on that scale and once again i mean you you must have been like, oh, this is going to be really hard. Who can I get to be harnessed 30 feet in the air and not move for like 30 minutes? <laughs> that was tough, man. You know, but it was, but, uh, it was, it was great. It was, you know, and I, it, it was, a, it was great on so many levels. My, my friendship with Kate Moran, like really, um, deepened over that course of time, you know, and, uh, like that was awesome. Um, working with actual divas like like the definition of divas the to be in rehearsal with someone who can control their voice like that um it was just an honor to like just to to watch them work to work with ken rowe you know um doing choreography to be in a room and watching everyone's process you know there was a lot of times where i had to sit and watch you know and it was it was such a learning experience. I mean, so I, I guess the, the theme is learning, observing and learning and listening. You know, um, I think you could take all the classes in the world, but watching other people's process, uh, if they're world renowned opera singers um, or me, you know what I mean? So you know, everyone's learning from each other all the time and not just as a performer, but how to be a professional, you know, how to be, show up on time, which is early, you know, stay later, all, all those things. Watching your style as a director, you know, and like, um, and how we communicate with one another. I mean, like, look, we were early twenties when we first started doing this. Right. And maybe, you know, I certainly am not good at communicating frustrations or things like that, you know, but it's funny. I tangential comment, but like, it's funny we're working so consistently then and you're learning and developing who you are as an artist and, and as a human being. And I think I'm better at both of those things now, you know, and yet I work less. Like I can't even put, I can't even put them to practice at the moment. Um, of course I can, but it's like, I look forward to taking all the things that I've learned and utilizing that to do better work, you know? Uh, and sitting in those rehearsals at Lincoln center, it was like, I had watched the evolution of not just myself, you and Kate, but like of where we were at as artists. And, um, it was, again, it, it was so enlightening in many, many ways. So this next point relates a lot to many of the things that you've already said, Brian, but also I think more generally, immersive theater and mm -hmm. and sort of right. what i was sort of intuitively drawn to in the early days of my own career and then what i've seen it become um you know through, again throughout my career but then as this sort of immersive entertainment um form has expanded in so many ways as it has in recent years and, and it was this it was i never was drawn to the idea of staging a play or telling a story uh, more i was drawn to the idea of creating a world and, and, and a world that you as a performer would, or you as an audience member would walk into. I've, I've often, often described, you know, when people say like, what's immersive theater? I'd say, well, let me give you the best example that I know, which is we did this show in 2001 called So Long Ago I Can't Remember. And it was an adaptation of the Divine Comedy. But instead of telling the audience the story of Dante's journey through nine circles of hell, purgatory, and paradise, we cast the audience in effect, as Dante Right. and led them through nine circles of hell, purgatory, and paradise, and they had their own experience. And we updated many things and, 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 and created worlds that would be more evocative of today and the 20th century and the 21st century than, than you know, when, when Dante wrote it. But 
But one of the things about you, Bic, and, and, and the, the performers who, who most succeeded in, in our work together, mm-hmm. people like Michelle, people like Kate, people like you, people like Josh. Hopkins and Josh, yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was being able to live in the world. Like you didn't have to have a script. You didn't have to have your lines. You would bring, as you said, like I drew the, the, the outline and then you guys colored it in and coloring it in was living in the world so that when the audience came in, it wasn't like, ooh, there's an actor in a set. It was like, there's a being that inhabits this world. And, and, now, and I'm like this, I'm like as an audience, I'm like this guest in this world. And it has all of the, you know, the kind of, the details and and refinement and nuance that 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 a, a, a being living in a world would have if it lived in that world, and that was so far beyond what I think a lot of actors understood the, their craft to be. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I feel like you know, as Michelle and I talked about this idea that like you know, and this is actually something that that I had first heard Richard Foreman say was like, yeah, we do our show, we're creating this world, and if people don't show up the audience doesn't show up we still do the show oh man yeah <laughs> and it's like and it, and i feel like there that's part of what we're talking about now part of this idea of inhabiting the world and again you've touched on it a lot in things that you've said but just like given what i've just said like w- w- what do you what do you say in response what do you see in that idea of inhabiting the world well um yeah i i can i think that i think the moment that you that as an actor or a performer, when you realize that you're not standing on stage, that you're existing in space. And I think when you have um, set pieces that we had, um, rolling boats, you know, like, I don't know, 40 tons of sand, um, uh, uh, fog, um, these beautiful lights, sound. I mean, the world is created for you, you know, I mean, of course we help fill in, um, uh, part of that, but it's, um, I think I, I, like you said, I touched on it earlier. Every, every piece played such a, a prominent part equally, you know, it wasn't just, you know, uh, the actors, you know, it, it was every single thing in that space had, uh, a job, you know, and they all, they all fit so perfectly. And, uh, again, it's, it's an escape, you know, and you can, you can really transport yourself to another place and, you know, sort of live outside of, you know, society's rules for a little while and just get to like, uh, reveal a part of yourself that is a, a, a very true, part of yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're, you're sharing almost like a deeper sense of self when you can inhabit uh, a a space like that, inhabit a show or a character. Um, It's, I I think it's very hard to define, um, but you know it, you know it when you stop thinking about it. You know, when if you're on stage and you're trying to, like you're thinking about, all right, well, this is going to happen next. It's like, no, no, this is what's happening one second ahead. Like you're, you're, it's, you're in time. You're not ever getting ahead of yourself. You're not thinking about what just happened. It's something, did something go wrong or whatever. You're consistently in the moment, in that space, in that world. And it's, uh, it's, it takes a lot of training to be able to, to loosen your mind that way a little bit and, and not, not be so self-aware, I guess. And that's, uh, it's, it's a tough thing. It's a tough place to get to. Um, but you know, with, with that kind of training that we did every day before and during rehearsals and the show, and you know, it's, it becomes easier and easier because you trust everyone and everything around you to, to be there where it's needed and that cue to happen. So you're not thinking about any of that stuff. You're just thinking about being and, might be a, a long convoluted answer to that, but it's the only way I know how to describe it to, to describe something that I wasn't taught. I, mean, I can't reference, you know, you can't reference a textbook. You can't reference something that, uh, that you studied. I mean, you can read articles, um, think, you know, and people's journals of, you know, what they've experienced through or listen to podcasts. But, you know, it's like, for me, I didn't have, I, I that's the only vocabulary I know is, 
is how I just described it. And I, I don't often talk about it. So sometimes when you're saying these things, it's like, oh, right, it's that. But I haven't really had long, thorough discussions um, about what the process was and about how we got to that place where we could perform under those conditions and perform in that world, in that space, in that time, in a part of Brooklyn that you said nobody would ever go to. You couldn't get a cab to drop you off there. They'd be like, where are you going? Brooklyn, nah. And they would just drive away. <laughs> like Sometimes you just had to walk to Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, you could take the subway, but you know, you get my point. It was like, this, it was like the, this new frontier of, of location, what we were doing in our lives and, and art in general. And it was mind expanding for me. And I, it still informs a lot, a lot, a lot of the stuff I do today. And as well as the friendships, you know, all that. Right on, right on, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same way and you know, it's, it's really, it's been really interesting to kind of reconnect with some of these things and conversations with Michelle and, Karen Dalzell and, and yeah. even in Hamburger and, mm-hmm. and you know, I know it's a joy for me. I suspect it's pretty cool. Oh, for man. Me. I'm telling you right now, I'm still all in, man. Yeah. Like that I'm, I'm there. Like bags are already packed and I'm ready to go. I know, Vic. I know, yeah, I know. It's, it's, uh, this is a great joy. It's been a real pleasure, man. And it's great to share these stories with people, you know, and I think, uh, what you guys are doing with this podcast is, uh, is good stuff and it's important, uh, to, to push the next envelope of what's being done and what we can do, you know, so as individuals and as collaborators, you know, and so much love if you can't already tell, man. So likewise, likewise. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm not going to lie to you, man. I mean, I definitely, I teared up a couple of times, man. I mean, it's, I'm doing it now. I mean, it's, it's that significant of an impact on my life. Yep. I feel the uh, same way. I feel the yeah. same way. I know Michelle did. And, and I think that that's the thing that we're all connecting to these years later is like, that was some dope shit we did. And, and, and let's not let it just sort of, you know, fall disappear into the ether and fall away. But like, yeah. let's find a way to, to bring that back, you know, some of yeah, us having our individual ways. And, but maybe now there's an opportunity to do it together. That's, that's sort of where I'm at. This has been uh, part three of the Gale Gates sub series on producing innovation. I'm Michael Counts. This is Brian Bickerstaff. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, guys. Please remember to rate, share, comment, and subscribe to Producing Innovation wherever you listen to your podcasts.